Hi, my name is Greg McNeil. I'm the founder of Cover Two Resources, a nonprofit organization founded in memory of my son, Sam, who died of a heroin overdose in October. Our mission is to provide education, support, and advocacy for those affected by the growing opioid epidemic in our country. I'd like to welcome you to this Cover Two Resources podcast. This is an ongoing audio series in which we interview people who are making a difference in the fight against opioid addiction. Our goal here is to raise awareness and connect users and their families with resources to fight opioid addiction. Greg McNeil, founder of Cover Two Resources, and I'm here today with Robin Starr. Robin, she runs a successful coaching practice, and she's done so for five years. So welcome, Robin. Thanks, Greg. Hi. Hi. I want to just start off by telling us a little bit about how you got started. Okay. Um, I had a family member in crisis. They were in the midst of a drug addiction, and I was not even remotely aware of how I could help this person, right? But I wanted to. So I started deep diving into substance use, substance abuse, and found that there are so many people out there that are affected by loved ones who have an addiction of some kind. So I knew I wasn't alone, but the resources were minimal. And I decided that I wanted to further and deepen my knowledge so that I could not only help myself, but there's this void out there. Where do you go to find help? How do you deal with this that you're completely unaware of? You're on a new planet. You have, are stepping onto unknown territory. You don't know who to talk to. You don't know where to go. You don't even know the language to speak. And compounding things, you're in crisis. This is mm. your loved one. So you're really not thinking clearly, not mm. thinking entirely. So you need a lot of help there. Mm -hmm. And you want to fix it, right? We want mm. to fix it. We want to put a Band-Aid on and, 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 and move forward. So um, so how do you empower uh, the, the parents mm -hmm. so that they can do the right things to fix it? Okay, well, first let me say that you can't fix it. Okay, and I want you to know that you didn't cause it. Okay, and you can't fix it. The only person that can fix it is the person who is engaging in opioid use. So what we try to do as parents, we, I use a science-based program. There's 40 years of clinical research. It's, um, I think I just mentioned, it's science-based. It's, it's a, a skill-based program where we keep engaged with our children in a positive and ongoing way. And we help motivate them to change and for their behaviors to change, and we move them towards treatment. How do you do that? It's an interesting question. Um, it's based on motivational interviewing, cognitive behavioral therapy, and I teach parents how to communicate better with their loved one. And it's, it makes a huge difference. Well, first, let me stop and say, first, I need to educate the parent on what is going on. They've got emotions of isolation, shame, guilt, uh, fear, confusion, and all these emotions that are running rampant. And I need to kind of harness that so we can get some really pro productive use of who they are. So they need to take care of themselves. I educate them on what the addiction is all about. Why is it 
taking place and how you can be the best guide with your child. But first, you have to take care of yourself because you have to be resilient, you have to be patient, you have to offer clarity, consistency. And without that, you're not going to be able to put in um, the strategies that are going to help your child. It's the old cliche of putting your oxygen mask on first and then helping the person next to you. Hmm. We really want to do that, and it's not selfish. It's really a key component of helping and communicating correctly with positive reinforcement. We need to we need to re-engage our children with providing them with a desire. Actually, they provide themselves with a desire to change. It would seem as though breaking of old habits, communication-wise, from parents to their children, um, that would probably be your first challenge here, no? Uh, yeah, it's it's hard not to get angry and yell and, and, and just want to blame and shame. And those are the key ingredients to having a worse relationship and not being able to effectively help your child. So we have seven elements of positive communication. And I teach, I teach each one, but you want to be brief. We want to be specific. For example, um, you need to be more responsible. You're telling my kid that, right? Mm -hmm. But what am I saying? I need to be specific. I need you to get up at 7 o'clock. You need to set your alarm. Okay. That is one thing I'm telling them on how to be responsible. And I can put on the end there, and that makes you responsible for getting up in the morning. Okay, let's be specific. Nobody can read minds. Um, we want to be positive. We want to describe what we want to happen, what behaviors we want versus what we don't want. Simple as, I would like you in at midnight for curfew instead of, I don't want you back past midnight for coming into the house. So those t small spins are keeping us positively engaged with our child. And, and of course, it, this is a process. It's a marathon, not a sprint. So these changes aren't going to happen overnight. Um, the next thing is let's label feelings instead of blaming. Let's say, I feel really sad when I see that you are sitting on the couch and playing the Xbox um, and not taking time to take the garbage out. I'm really just throwing these out there. Mm, <laughs> right, sure. I have other examples, mm -hmm. but typically I'm very specific to the family's needs and who this child is. But I'm kind of giving you an overview. Um, we want to offer an, an understanding. Okay. Oh, you know, I know it's hard to get in by midnight. I know you were you know, 20 minutes late, and it is unacceptable. And I understand it's hard. You're out. You don't really know... Um, what time it is, you're getting all involved. Is there a way that you think that might help you remember to get in at 12? So I'm showing that I understand it is hard. I and mean, you're not a bad person, it's hard, okay? Um, then I could also say we offer to help. So we ask permission. Can I offer you a solution? Or can I offer you an idea? And then the last one is that I like to um, really incorporate in so many ways in, in my life is no whys. And I'm spelling it W-H-Y-S, well, no whys. So mm -hmm. we don't say why. Why are you sitting in that chair? How does that feel to you when I say why are you sitting in that chair? A challenge. Okay. A little defensive. You mm -hmm. need to come yeah. back, right? Sure. All right. So don't ask why. 
You can add, you can formulate questions, and I'm always available to you know a text or whatever. How can I formulate this question better in a more positive way, where I'm not accusing, blaming, shaming? Because they will always take it that way. And you know what? It gives them an excuse to go use. She's such a fill in the blank. Hmm. Another trigger. Exactly. Hmm. And we look for those, right? The the person with substance use um, disorder looks for excuses. Okay, because you want to reinforce their own behavior, mm-hmm. even though it's a vicious cycle. Once they reinforce it, and that's their reward, they feel like crap. Um, but they're looking for that reason. Okay, mm-hmm. um, and the other piece, I'm just gonna uh, one more sure. um, on that is close-ended questions. We want to keep open-ended questions. We don't want to say, uh, "How was your day? Good, bad." Be more open. Tell me about when you went for lunch. What did you have to eat? So, again, we're engaging and we're not putting people on defensive and not shutting them out. We want to be part of your life. Sure. Get the dialogue going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, that would take, um, I'm sure that takes quite a bit of practice um, in most cases for the parents to get to the point where they really feel comfortable and fluid. Mm-hmm. Practice, practice, practice is what yeah. we say. And two steps forward, one step back, and it is a, it is a process. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, some, and I said practice 20 minutes a day. And I... When I started looking at this program, I started using it in my daily life and modeling it for my parents, the parents that I deal with. I model a lot of the communication patterns for them. And then we, I, at, the, at the end, I'll say, so what did you, what did you just hear there? What, did I, what positive communication skill did I use on you? We do a lot of practicing, a lot of um, worksheets. I think you saw the book I use. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we, we learn what not to do also, right? We don't want to nag. We don't want to, we don't want to give silent treatment. We don't want to yell, um, shame, blame, label, all those things that we typically do because we think that's going to make it better. Okay. So after the parents have pretty, you know, I won't call it mastered, but gotten real close mm-hmm. to communications, then now let's move on to kind of the heart of things, and that is um, getting their loved one to you know, be motivated, you know, enabling their loved one, helping them to find that motivation to, you know, make this work, make sobriety work, make, um, you know, their long-term success. Uh, The scenario that we're talking about, I guess, in this hypothetic scenario, this is a parent that's just now been faced with this, thrown into this. They're in crisis mode and they're trying to deal with it the best they can, and um, figure out how best to um, address this and motivate their loved one to get help. Right, right, because it doesn't just happen overnight. So we work with collaboration versus confrontation, because confrontation leads to reduction of motivation to change. So that's the first part. Let's get confrontation out. Let's get all that out. And now we've got a person that is struggling. And they're not blaming because everybody around them is collaborating. So they have to ultimately look inside. And um, I I wish I could go through everything that we do. I can't. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's the basic idea. And we have natural consequences. We let natural consequences happen. Okay? We we don't enable them to... um, to do whatever, because it doesn't feel good. We want them to feel the success or the failure on their own. There's dignity in having success or failure on your own. And that's the way that people 
feel better about who they are, and they want to continue to feel better about who they are. Now, when we're talking opioid addiction, it's a very different um, scenario when it comes to recovery. But the bottom line is you want to get that person to want to change. What is going to change them? What is going to be more rewarding than the, than the opioid? What is going to be more rewarding? We've got to find that out. We find out what triggers them to use it, and we kind of go another way and find out what can we trigger them to feel good on another level. What can they develop for a reason to take a different path? So we explore that as a fan, you know, with the, in the family unit, whatever that family unit is for the sure. grandparents. So can you give some examples, tangible examples of situations in the past, perhaps where you found something and you've hit upon something that was particularly successful that, um, you know, to interject into the situation? Gosh, I'm thinking of a couple of them. I'm just trying to think of which one would be um, be best. Okay, I have um, a gentleman who is a little over a year without his heroin. Uh, he was nose diving. He was having numerous people around him die. Nose um, diving. So, so he he was spiraling, just spiraling downward. Out of yeah, control. he just okay. he just did. There was nothing else in his life but heroin use, mm -hmm. and his. His mother was um, just a very strong, wonderful woman who just wanted to make it all better, and I get that. I totally get that. But she had to step out of the way for him to, be, to go forward. Instead of her being the responsible one, she had to make him the responsible one. So I taught her tools on how to get herself out of the picture, but at the same time still be connected so that she could be a positive influence. And she changed the way she spoke with him. And she started talking to him like um, like an adult that she respected instead of somebody she had to fix. Hmm. How long did that take? Let me just jump That's in That's a good here. question. Um, from the time I met her, she did a course um, probably about nine months. Okay. Um, we also, with that situation, we had uh, Judge Mattia, who I know mm -hmm. you've had a podcast with, mm -hmm. was really instrumental in designing a plan for him. But mm -hmm. he had to want to do it. So the bottom line is anybody who is using drugs of any kind need to want a different lifestyle. Mm -hmm. So hopefully we can create that want. Um, oh, and I think you asked me the question, what was it that besides the part of his mother, the other part was he found through the beginning of his sobriety, that what was really motivating to him was helping others. He felt purposeful. He felt like he had something to give. He felt positive about himself. So at the beginning, he kind of talked about it a little bit with his mom and his dad. And they thought that's, that's a positive reinforcement. That is going to keep him, right, on something positive in his life that might fulfill that void. Okay, so they kind of opened up some doors for him, open dialogue, motivational interviewing, the things that we learn. And he is now, he's doing so much. He took 18 boys the other day to Pennsylvania to do some sort of um, spiritual thing. It's not a religious thing, but it's like a spiritual thing, a yoga thing. Um, there were two other people that went with him, so he wasn't responsible for 18 young men who are in the program. The it's a real success story. That's I think terrific. so. And he speaks yeah. all around now and talks about, you know, what he's learned and how he stayed sober. And thus far, he's doing fabulous. Wow. That's exciting. 
So what would you say are the most important success factors for those that have maintained their long-term sobriety? That is a great question because that is the key to it, right? We can be sober for a day, but we want to be sober for a life mm -hmm. and have a good life, a quality life. So from the science of craft, which is the community reinforcement and family training, as well as um, my work on the opiate task force and um, just talking to some people who have stayed sober, I've kind of come up with a list. It doesn't mean that all of these has to have to happen. I'm sure other things can happen, but these are some of the things that I've seen um, kind of rise to the surface of being consistent. So first of all, they have to have a desire to stay sober. You have to want it. And first we need to stabilize the brain, okay, perhaps um, suboxone for any opioid usage, which does help stab stabilize the brain and reduces cravings. So by stabilizing the brain, can you give us your how you would define that? Yeah, well, I wish I was a scientist, but mm -hmm. um, it's been rewired, right? It's mm -hmm. the receptors, the the receptors for reward have taken on a new uh, desire. They have now kind of shut down because now they get their rewards from their opioids, right? So now we have to find how do we reward the brain? Um, and there's a lot of other science-based things that I really am not But conceptually, in. that's the big thing that they kind of, I think everybody needs to understand and appreciate. Which part? Stabilization? The stabilization mm -hmm. and what that means and the reward system in the brain. Yeah, right, exactly. Um, they, need, they need the time to change the reward system. And I think you and I were talking about time. Like, so you've been, we've, this person's been involved in heroin or opioids for a long, long time now. And this is all they know. This is how mm -hmm. their life has been. This is a hypothetical. A hypothetical. Okay. Yeah, okay. I'm sorry. Okay. I'm, I'm okay. So their whole day revolved around getting their drug, right? Being mm -hmm. in a circuit of people who do the drugs. Sure. Um, uh, they had a whole different environment to live in. Now they're in a new environment. Their brain is changing. It's not changed yet, right? So there's that, that crisscross where you're in the drug world and now you're in the sober world. Your brain is adjusting, but now you also have to adjust to life skills, skills that you have not used in a long time, socially, um, re relate with relationships. I mean, you name it. it. You haven't had that on this level of having a sober lifestyle. And now you have to learn that, too. So we're training the brain. We have to learn that. So I think it's really important that these, these people get help in terms of how do we do these basic things. And you know what? It doesn't happen overnight. It takes a good, a good year, year and a half to be able to go through Christmas, Hanukkah, you know, um, July 4th. So you need a, at least a cycle of a year of going through various situations that you have been high for and now you're, you're not. Okay, so um, it's really important to get those life skills. Um, we wanna, you want to know what the person... Um, what makes this person want to stay sober, wants to stay away from opiates. So that's real important as a support system. What, what's keeping him? Is it the service, that he likes to provide service for other people? Um, does he like exercise, golfing, whatever? So let's keep those things in this person's life somehow. 
Uh, we need a sober and supportive uh, community. We need a supportive family. Okay, Not everybody's always going to be on that page, but as many people as possible. We don't want to be policing our kid. We want to give them that independence and trust. It's really, really hard because our parents have post-traumatic stress of some kind, right? The phone sure, rings. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the eyes are looking a little weird, and mm -hmm. now we want to police mm -hmm. them, and that just kind of, that's one of the conversation traps or one of the traps of negativity that we don't want to impose, okay? Um, we'll talk about that. Um, we need to replace the passion for drugs with another passion. We have to help by not enabling. There needs to be some kind of spirituality. And I don't, again, I don't mean religion, but something that touches them intrinsically. They're, they're inside that moves them. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Um, service to others increases their self-worth. They cannot be labeled or shamed. And we really want to reinforce the behavior we want to see and ignore the behavior we don't want to see. Ignore the behavior. That's tough. How do you teach mm -hmm. that, to ignore the behavior that you don't want to see? Okay. Well, you mean teach it to the loved one? To the parent. Okay. Yeah. All right. So let's say I'm making dinner. I'm making a really nice dinner for my, my uh, son who uses heroin. And we've had dinner a couple of times. I'm making a really nice dinner. I set the plates out and he comes home. And he's high. I can tell he's high. So I can say to him, I would really like to have dinner with you, but I do not want to sit down with you when you're in this state. So I'm going to go and I'm going to go to my office and do some work or I'm going to whatever. So I'm ignoring the behavior. I'm not rewarding it. Okay. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not shaming him for that. I'm just saying, this is how I feel. I really would like to sit with you, but I'm not comfortable with this the way it is now. So I'm going to walk away. So there's no yelling. There's no nagging. I'm not trying to do a guilt trip. I'm not doing anything but stating what I would state to a friend who is doing something that I might not want to be a part of. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes a lot now, of sense. Now, if he comes home and he's, he's totally sober, everything's great, he walks in the door, like, come on, let's have some dinner, you know, what you know, what... Tell me a little bit about what uh, you did at the park or whatever. Any other questions on that? So, no, but what, are the, what should uh, families, um, what other things should family, families know about your program? Mm. Well, um, I, I, I think that um, I've kind of given it in a nutshell without giving you how to do it, which I feel badly about, but it just take, would take too long. Sure. Um, I want them. I want people to know that you are more uh, productive when you're less stressed. I'm sure we all know that. This is a, an emotionally and physically exhausting time in your life when you have somebody struggling that you love with an opioid usage. Um, I know I've, I've mentioned this to you before um, that we need to allow for natural consequences being allowed for the dignity to fail or succeed on their own. So sometimes what I like to think or say is, we disable when we enable. We don't want to disable our children in terms of finding their motivation to change. Okay. So, and I know you at one point asked me, what is enabling? So here's my simple definition is, don't do for them what they can do for themselves. Fair enough. Okay. All right. Um, <clears throat> we need more treatment options. I think we know that. Um, 
I suggest to all my parents who have children with opioid use um, to get Narcan, or it's also known as Naloxone, and Project Dawn gives it out at free clinics. Now, there's various clinics around town, and you can look it up on the Opiate Task Force website or the Project Dawn, and that's spelled D-A-W-N. Um, it is it blocks the effects of the overdose on the brain, and it restores breathing. So I always like families who know their, their loved one is using opioids, have that on hand. Okay, it's okay to do that. Yeah, it's really pretty amazing. I mean, yeah. it literally brings people back to life out of OD'd. So. And if they're not using, it doesn't do any harm. So it's good to have. It's good to have uh, for all those people that are around this person. Let's give them another chance. I want to remind you that the only person that could can motivate um, your loved one to change is the loved one. Yeah. Is that I, person. I think we touched on that in the beginning, yeah. But that's so important, mm -hmm. obviously. And I don't know if you want to talk about this or not, but when, if a... If your loved one or your child relapses, and it, and it can happen and it does happen, I like to tell parents that prior to anything of a relapse happening, and if they've been sober for any period of time, a week, two weeks, two years, please remind them that if they're going to relapse, to never use the same amount of drugs that they used when they stopped using because they've lost that tolerance. And I know it sounds so counterintuitive, but as parents, we want to do something, right? And if I can just throw out a nugget to my child, if I throw out one nugget that maybe they're going to hang on to that could change their life, I don't need to have an answer back from this person. I just need to tell them, please keep this in mind. That's, I guess, one more thing I wanted to add. And then there's a helpline from the Drug-Free Partnership, uh, the, the Partnership for Drug-Free Kids. And the number is... 855-378-4373, and it is toll-free, and they offer a helpline manned by uh, social workers, psychologists, who will help the person who is talking to them. And, and when I say the person, it's not the person using, it's the loved one. It's the person caring for that person. And you can call up and say, I think my child's using marijuana or heroin, or my child is using full-blown, this is what's going on, and they will help you navigate some of the areas for resources, and they will also uh, ask you if you would like to take advantage of their five-week free coaching session to help um, help you with this craft uh, method. Hmm. Well, that's tremendous. So how do they do that? How do they deliver that? Do you know? Oh, coaching? it's on phone. It's on there's, phone. There's okay. 85. So call in at a particular time. Network coaches. Yeah. The um, coach will make a, uh, an appointment nope. with you. It would be just like a normal, regular one-hour coaching session with somebody, but oh. who is skilled at providing um, instruction on the community reinforcement and family training, which is the evidence-based based method, mm -hmm. and they will give you five weeks for free. And oh, it's terrific. It has helped so many people. So I, I urge you to take advantage of that. It's also drugfree.org backslash helpline or just drugfree.org and you can find it on there. Okay. And it's, in, it's not for profit. So that's a great resource from a nonprofit. And also, you have a weekly group that, uh, that you can... Oh, it's a monthly, a monthly okay. group. Okay. Support group for parents. Okay. We meet at one of our members' home. It's very relaxed. 
very welcoming, casual. It's free. I think I mentioned that. Mm-hmm. And we go over like one one piece of um, information that might help you with your with your child. And then we also share experiences and um, feed off of each other and help each other. Okay. So if a listener wanted to participate, how mm-hmm. would they go about that? Um, Contact you directly? Yeah, they can email me. You can email me at robinstarparentpartnership at gmail.com. Perfect. Very good. Okay. Um, Robin, well, thank you very much. Is there anything else that you'd like to care to share with the Cover 2 listeners today? You're not alone. There's people to help. Outstanding. Well, thank you again for uh, all of your work in this area, and thanks for sharing with, uh, with our listeners today. My pleasure. Okay. I hope it helps. Okay. Thanks for what you do, Greg. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to this Cover 2 Resources podcast. This podcast is a production of Cover 2 Resources. It's made possible through donations from listeners like you. If you'd like to donate or sponsor a future podcast, please visit cover2.org. That's cover and the numeral 2.org. As always, thank you for listening and sharing this podcast. Together, I believe we can make a difference in the opioid epidemic one life at a time.